Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly in our topics this week. Mike Pompeo's dilemma, run the world or run for the Senate. Local developers dilemma, TIF is getting tougher. And trying to limit discussion time, the city council's dilemma. Plus, of course, roast and toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and look again at the issue of changing the name of an iconic street in Kansas City. Voters decide next Tuesday whether the newly named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard retains that designation or returns to the previous designation of the Paseo. Now we've heard from panelists who have supported the name change. Now we talk with folks who want the Paseo name restored. From the Save the Paseo Committee, Diane Houston and Andre Logan, thanks to both of you for coming in. Appreciate your time. Thank thanks for you. Having us. Let me start with you, Diane. One of the uh, major issues, I think, is your belief that this was not done legally. This process was not done the way it is supposed to be done. That's very true. Um, we have a city charter that states that in order to change a street name, you need 75% of the consent of the property owners along that the boulevard or the street. And then also, um, Paseo is a boulevard, which means it's in the control of the Parks Board. So the Parks Board is the one that designates the street names, not the city council and not really even the voters. But in this case, they kind of sidestepped the whole issue and went straight to the city this council. This was done by the city council, and I believe it was then Councilman, now Mayor Lucas, who introduced the ordinance. It was, along with Jermaine Reed, correct. Andre, what are some other reasons that the Save the Paseo Committee once the name returned, other than the legal questions involved? Well, I mean, there's the legal, there's a the historical significance of the Paseo, of course. Um, the Paseo, of course, is a 10-mile stretch, and there, you know, there's churches, there's high schools that have been named after the Paseo. Um, of course, the historical significance of it being one of the first boulevards in Kansas City, that is, is huge when it comes to the history of our city and the contributions that the Paseo throughout time has made. Uh, that people love, I guess, about the city or about the street itself. We got an email from a lady who uh, wanted me to ask you this question. You may have heard it before. Uh, her argument is Paseo in Spanish means boulevard or passageway. And why can't it be called both the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Paseo, sure. other than it would be an extremely long sign? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It could. I mean, there's... It's not necessarily, this movement isn't necessarily to eradicate the name of Martin Luther King or honor or not to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. The biggest part of this uh, committee, what we wanted to do was bring it to the people so that they could vote on this. It's the, it's the heart of the matter is that, you know, for those folks that live on the Paseo, the 1,800 you know, property owners that live on Paseo, you know, they needed to have a say in this process. And, and they didn't. And they didn't. It must have been a challenge to have to do all the name change, address changes that, that individuals would have to do well, and, and, and that's, businesses. Right. And that's part of the, the process is that the only thing that's actually been legally changed, and I think that this needs to be clarified as well, 
is nothing. I mean, the only thing is the signs. That's the only thing that's been changed. When the petition went active um, in March, they pretty much stopped all the renaming. So legally speaking, it's still the Paseo. And on that too, I mean, the Paseo is does mean walk, but it's so significant to Kansas City. You know, somebody comes in from out of town into Kansas City and sees the in front of a street sign name, and they're going to ask questions like, what's that street all about? Well, what about this argument that some make that if the name is changed from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that will suggest to the world that Kansas City is somehow insufficiently honoring Dr. King's memory? Well, uh, you know, again, going back to the process and looking at what happens after November 5th, you know, there should be uh, a consensus and there should be leadership. Those folks that helped usher this in, whether it was Quentin Lucas or Jermaine Reed um, or the, the SCLC or the pastors, um, there should be uh, a coming together of, of both sides to say, okay, what's the next step? How should we go about honoring Dr. Martin Luther King? If it's not this particular street, you know, let's go about the, let's go about the way, the right way to either rename another street or come up with another way to honor Dr. King. Diane, you expect a big turnout on Tuesday? Um, I think we'll see a lot of passionate people on Tuesday. Um, I don't think we'll have a, a great turnout, but there are a lot of people who are very passionate about this issue, who have been waiting since this petition went on active. On both sides? I believe so. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do believe so. Final question, Andre. Uh, I know you think you'll win, and the name will be changed, <laughs> sure. but, but let's say for the point of discussion, it does not, and right. the name is continuing to be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. Is that the end of the battle? That's the end. The people have spoken at that point, you know. Absolutely. You okay with that? I am because I think that shows that we actually got democratic process finally. People who want to know before. more can go to your website. It's a very nice one. Thank I you. enjoyed looking at it. What is the address? Is it's it? www.savethepaseo.com. You can see um, our mission statement there, which is to honor Dr. King, but to find a, bring this community together. Great to talk to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you very Thank much. You. Appreciate you coming in. Good luck on Tuesday. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh -huh. Diane Houston and Andre Logan from the Save the Paseo Committee. The election, as I mentioned, is next Tuesday. We'll talk about it next Thursday. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Denidri Herbert is a journalist with the Sentinel website, part of the Kansas Policy Institute. Patrick McInerney is a former prosecutor, now with Spencer Fain. Teresa Garza is a former Jackson County legislator, and attorney Steve Marakian is with the law firm of Worsh, Hobbs, and Marakian. Steve is also an adjunct professor with the Ukraine Giuliani School of Law. <laughs> As we tape this program on Halloween, we probably have a frighteningly smart and talented group of panelists. And before we hear from them, a moment of tribute to the late Jerry Fogle, with whom I co-hosted a radio program for a decade and a half in Kansas City, most notably on KCMO Radio. Before radio, Jerry was an actor appearing as the son-in-law on The Mothers-in-Law and the brother-in-law on the White Shadow TV series. Jerry also made guest starring appearances on such major shows as Mary Tyler Moore, Bob Newhart, and Lou Grant. Fogel also appeared in films, including the Pearl Harbor saga, Torah, Torah, Torah. In addition to radio talk, Fogel and Shannon ventured into TV talk as well. We did several programs here on KCPT with newsmaker guests and the studio audience. Outside the broadcast booth, Jerry took an active interest in civic groups such as the Romeos, Retired Old Men Eating Out, and the <laughs> FBI Citizens Academy. Jerry Fogel was a great talent. He was a good friend. He will not be forgotten and certainly will be missed.
Jerry Fogle gone at 83. Thank you for your indulgence. Trying to get people to stop talking about an issue within a certain time span is a problem that I and talk show hosts around the country <laughs> surely understand. Now the Kansas City, Missouri City Council members are understanding that dilemma as well. The public is not allowed to speak at full city council meetings, but the public is able to support, oppose, defend, debate, debase, or debunk potential ordinances in committee meetings. The problem is some committee chairs are halting public debate too quickly, according to critics, by imposing a one-minute time limit. The Star's editorial board offered this observation. Democracy could be messy and complicated, but there are no shortcuts to self-government, and at City Hall, the public should be heard. I suspect we all agree, but are there ways to encourage debate while respecting people's schedules and patience? And we'll start with Patrick. Uh, there are, uh, and it's quite frankly not that tough. I think clear written rules is the absolute must on a first step. Um, those rules have to be communicated early and often. Uh, they have to be thought through and deliberate. <clears throat> and second of all, you've got to have someone who's willing to enforce those rules and enforce them the right way. If, there, if there's a three-minute time limit on commentary, then at the end of three minutes, somebody has to be, be able to tell the speaker, great points, now let's move to Mr. So-and-so, because I want to respect everybody else's time. I've, I've been in a position that's not certainly not city council, but uh, the police board had open commentary uh, at every session <laughs> on any topic. But we clearly and deliberately said, you've got three minutes, we're eager to hear what you have to say, and if there's something else we can do in terms of resources, we're happy to provide it for you. And courts of law operate under rules, and the rules are generally fallen. Followed. Sure. Well, sure, uh, but so those are a lot. Fallen. Those <laughs> maybe fallen. But those are a lot fallen. easier to enforce than uh, than public commentary yeah. at uh, at political forums. Teresa, right. when you were on the Jackson County uh, Legislature, did you have public testimony? We did, and we always had a certain amount of time, depending on the the issue um, and what the what the committee time frame was. I think that's standard, though, because even when I worked as government relations director for the American Cancer Society, I would go often to city council meetings and speak about smoke-free ordinances, and so we always had time limits. So I think that's kind of a standard um, and especially I think when you're trying to determine if it's productive and strategic in the comments that you're giving that's one thing but when it gets um, you know angry and hostile and hateful then that's another thing and how do you control that in that type of an environment Steve do you understand why the full city council doesn't allow public input I understand why they don't but I I think it's a I think it's a mistake and I agree completely with the sentiments that's been echoed, particularly by Patrick, in the idea that, that, that you, you can easily control it. You have rules. You have people there to enforce the rules. And, and the, the reason a lot of city councils uh, don't allow this is because they just, quite frankly, don't want to have to respond. And they would rather essentially, you know, run their government in the way they want to run it, forgetting that particularly at the city level, Input from citizenry is far more important than perhaps at any other level. I, I led the charge some years ago, ironically, in getting the Lamexa City Council to change. I tried to speak at a city council meeting and learned to my chagrin, we don't allow comment to city councils. Councilman, well, they Councilman, had seen you on ruckus. They had. They didn't like me. It was all against me. You get enough time. So, you get enough time. And, and, right. and one, of the, one of the council members, I think it was Macaulay at that time, took up the charge uh, with me, and, uh, and they changed it. And they allowed it with very strict rules, as Patrick mentioned, and it worked very, very well. Quickly, Denidri, uh, you're an outspoken person. Do you ever go to meetings in Kansas and have a chance to speak to the legislators? I have several times. I've testified in front of the Kansas legislature and in front of my own city council, and I actually greatly prefer the way the Gardner City Council does 
does it at the beginning of the meeting. They have open. I think it's three minutes. And then for every action item, they also have a separate public you know, every, you can have two minutes. So it gives you a chance to uh, bring up something that you maybe isn't on the agenda, but you also get some input on items that are on the agenda. I think it's really important. Yeah. Well, like, um, real fast, I, yeah. I will say, like, when I was on the Jackson County Legislature, especially for our land use committee and our public, um, our, our land use um, committee meeting, sorry, that we would also allow testimony, but we would also limit it in the sense that if you've already came and spoke on an issue before, then the next time, if and only if you had new information to give, could you speak again? You mean there are some people who go to every meeting and want to talk every <laughs> and time? And say the same things uh, over and over. And, uh, <laughs> testimony is finished for this topic. <laughs> Kansas Republicans want Mike Pompeo to make up his mind. Does he want to run the world or run for the Senate? The Kansas native is a former congressman and CIA director and is now the Secretary of State. There is hope by many that he leaves Washington to come back home to run for the Senate so he can return to Washington as one of the state's two members of the Senate. Pompeo encourages some hope for his supporters by his periodic visits to the state. He was in Wichita last week. Yet he has said repeatedly he is not running and will remain in his current job as long as President Trump wants him there. So let's say for our discussion he runs and wins the nomination. Let's say also his opponent is Barbara Bollier of Mission Hills in Johnson County. What are the implications of that race? First, a Democratic view from Teresa, then a GOP reaction from Denise. I think um, on the Kansas side with the Democratic Party, there's some concerns um, with Barbara, especially um, she was a Republican, she's now a Democrat. So that raises some concerns. But I also think that in regards to her victory path, um, I don't necessarily know if that is against Pompeo. I mean, I think there are other things that people would like to see, specifically if, if Kobach gets in, then that gives her a, a different path. And so I think that's what kind of the, they're waiting to see. And I think also with everything that's going on with the current administration in D.C., there's kind of this hold and we're trying, everybody's kind of in a wait, you know, status. People who don't like Trump won't like Pompeo, I assume. I would assume that's probably correct. <laughs> Let's get a GOP perspective of this possible race, and we're right. not saying that's going to be it. Right. There are the two, Republicans. Two things I need to preface this with. Once I've done a lot of work for Secretary Kobach, and I want everybody to know that out front and very clearly. Um, second, I don't think Pompeo's getting in as, as recently as Monday on Fox and Friends. He said, I'm not getting in. I don't know what he has to do to beat that into people's head, but he said that. But let's say this race happens. Pompeo will curb stomp Barbara Bollier. She might as well stop raising money if he gets in, go home, slink back to, I mean, th there's not even a chance she, I mean, it'll be, a, it'll be a curb stomping. It'll be embarrassing for the Kansas Democrats and for Barbara Bollier. You know what? I'm a Democrat, and I want Mike Pompeo to make up his mind, because no. what he's doing right now yes. is he's using taxpayer funds to run a oh, shadow no. Senate campaign with all these trips back and forth to, to Wichita and wherever else he goes. To, to visit a community college just like every other Secretary of State does. So he's, he's using my money right There's now. There's an accusation of a Hatch Act violation that was filed by Senator Menendez. Uh, against Mike Pompeo. Well, Mike, I'm in my no. Halloween costume as a whistleblower, and I got I got to blow my whistle on the, what Patrick just said <laughs> oh, no. because because quite frankly, I, I disagree entirely. Uh, you know, Pompeo has lived in Wichita forever. He loves that area. He has friends there. He came back for a wedding. He came back for maybe a funeral with something Ivanka else Trump. And so on. He came back with Ivanka Trump. Yeah, okay, right. Which, which, which is on that's, state. Listen, yeah. Listen. If this if this if this is the charge, the Democrats are going to run against Pompeo if he runs. Okay. This is why it won't even be a true election because he'll win this before the before he starts. Right. I, I don't I think he's going to run. I, yeah, I think he I should run. I, I, I hope mean, he does run. I think it's critically important. 
to, to uh, not just the Kansans, but critically important to President Trump. He, was, he would serve President Trump's Republican administration in terms of a re-election of Trump's campaign, and if Trump gets re-elected, far better as a senator than as continuing as Secretary of State. Secretary of State's come and go. I okay? absolutely I, I disagree think, with I think that. he needs to be a senator. Uh, I, I saw him on yes, television. There's a lot of turnover I, in this I saw Pompeo being interviewed on a program earlier this week, and he said he had made four visits to Kansas in two years and didn't think that was excessive. Now, let's talk about Chris Kobach. You know okay. him well, as you I said. Uh, you were his press yes. secretary during his campaign for governor. You yes. may return to that role at some point when he is in the Senate race. Some people, you know, will say he's not even a possibility, not even, there is no way to conceive of him getting the nomination and winning. And is that a mistake? And people are smoking crack, and they should share it with the children that come to their I'm going to blow my whistle. Oh, where, where, <laughs> no. no, no where, where can I find there them? Are, there are rumors of, of polls, and I haven't actually seen them, but I've heard them extensively. Several polls I know have been done because I've received a couple of phone calls. And from what I hear from the rumors, his numbers are 40%. The next closest is Roger Marshall at 17% and 123%. Who? Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the only, he, he wins the Republican primary hands down as the race stands right now. And I'm not saying that as his biggest fan, although I will admit to being one. <laughs> It's just reality. Quick, quick question. I, I, I'm told, uh, I don't think I heard him say it, but I'm told that Chris like, Kobach has said I made a lot of mistakes during the gubernatorial campaign and I'm taking steps to, to make corrections. Is that true? I, I believe it's true. He's, he's got, as far as I know, some different team members. Like, and he's doing changing his name and who he is. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm here to announce right now, Democrats for Kobach. Um, we'll, have, we'll have a P.O. box uh, available at the end of the show. Uh, and it, we are wide open for contributions Absolutely. and support. You bet. Barbara Boulier is chair of that <laughs> committee, she, I believe. She will yes. be our deputy treasurer. All right. We might pull in Claire <laughs> to help, too. Yeah, call Todd Aiken to see how that works. The word, uh, not the same. The word TIFF with two Fs means a quarrel. The one with one F means tax increment financing. And we are about to see a TIFF with two Fs over a TIFF with one. The Tax Increment <laughs> Financing Commission recommends when or if developers get a public subsidy for their projects. The board surprised some, delighted others, when it recently said no to developers planning a luxury hotel near the Performing Arts Center designed for what backers called the Mercedes audience. The final decision rests with the city council. There was a time when the TIF Commission never said no, or so it seemed. Would it be a concern if the commission goes the other way, Steve, and never says yes? It wouldn't be a huge concern to me. I've not been a big supporter of tax increment financing. I've thought for years that it was, it was used improperly. As you said, the city council used to just rubber stamp everything, and everybody got it. I, I, I would like to see the, the, the old adage about developers is developers are people who use other people's money to build things. Okay, And, and I would like to see developers coming into Kansas City uh, using mostly their own money and having the city benefit substantially by the huge tax dollars that they would get from these huge developments, which they're right now getting from small business owners who don't get TIF. Um, I, I, quite frankly, uh, am not a supporter of it, and though I would say, I would never say never, I think it should be used very, very advisedly. So well, <laughs> Mayor Lucas has appointed 
Alicia Kennedy, former member of the city council, came in third in the mayoral primary. She's the chair. She'll be tough, won't she? Absolutely. Um, and in full disclosure, again, Alicia is my little sister's best friend. They actually went to law school together, so I know her quite well. Um, well, I don't think we can hear comments. <laughs> so that's that. <laughs> but I think that um, I think she will be. And she, I mean, she was tough when she was on the council with development projects. So I think that that's going to carry over in this position. But I also think, going back to what Steve had said, that. Um, TIF is rarely used for businesses. It's more, it's more for the um, redevelopment. It's a redevelopment tool for construction costs, right? That's typically what it's used for versus for businesses. And I think that it's just a tool. I mean, you've got so many other tools when it comes to these incentives to get these companies to come in and redevelop an area. You've got tax abatements, you've got bonds, you've got tax credits, you've got financing programs. I mean, the list is long. So to act like TIP is the problem, I don't know if that's necessarily, I agree with that 100%. I think, again, it's just a tool in the tool belt that can be used. Well, you have to have it used sometimes, don't you, Patrick, if a, a city is going to stay competitive? You do, but I think what we've arrived at is exactly what uh, Quentin Lucas forecasted, which is, I mean, he's keeping good, he's sticking with a campaign promise right. here. Right. So he, and all you need to do is look at the vote on the Platinum Hotel, or whatever we're calling it, uh, by Kaufman the other day. It was 8-3, it was I think. The only three who voted in favor of it were uh, Mayor James's appointees. So it's a brand new day with Canada as chair. Uh, um, she's been outspoken and consistent about her opposition to uh, the inequity of the TIF financing system. So it's a brand new day for developers and uh, everybody else in Kansas City. Danita, when you travel on the campaign trail on behalf of Chris Kobach or whomever, <laughs> right. uh, you stay in Mercedes hotels and what are they? Uh, no, but I wish I did. I don't know. Um, I don't think a Mercedes hotel to me insinuates a hotel that is going to be um, marketed to people who have a lot of expendable income, which is not most campaigns. <laughs> um, but, so I don't understand why... Like that is passed along to the consumers typically instead of being passed on to the public at large through a TIF. I don't understand why you would even attempt to use a TIF for something like that. I understand the process is blighted property, but then use the TIF only to knock down whatever's on the on there now and make it blank land and for nothing else. I just the, the stuff they use TIFs for is way out of Steve, I know you've been at been Mercedes hotels worldwide. Uh, <laughs> the only place I stay. <laughs> I th those in Trump is. hotels, that's, that's it. Yeah. Is it fair <laughs> to assume that a viable business doesn't need any taxpayer support to build and operate in Kansas City, Missouri? No, you, not, you can't make that so broad statement. There are exceptions. There, there, clearly, right. you know, there are times when, when tax financing or other kinds of, of public-private partnerships and tax abatements that can be used and are necessary to, to help a city go from maybe really doldrums into a more, a more vibrant economy. And we saw that kind of in the 1980s. We had a big building boom under Mayor Berkeley, and then again when the Sprint Center and so forth came in. Uh, there are times. The problem is, as I think has been echoed, it should be used very carefully because largely it's simply a, another form of corporate welfare. It's taking companies that, that have billions and hundreds of billions of dollars and saying, we're going to help you out really at the expense 
of the other businesses and the taxpayers because Shifting because budget. because when they're not paying their taxes and the tax and financing is over a period of time but the bottom line is <clears throat> there's all kinds of studies have been done showing we don't get the revenue we should be getting and when they're not paying their fair share of taxes then others have to pay it for all the things that we need for there's also a lot of good information about the fact that 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 kind of financing is just one component of trying to attract business it's right. also a talent pool it's also affordability right. and other elements Absolutely. of the city so I think what you're seeing is a reduction in the importance of TIF finance. But All right. I, and can I say real fast? So no, if, uh, <laughs> real, real fast. if incentives are never needed, then um, what explains the, the renaissance in like the crossroads of the downtown area? Because those were set vacant for years mm -hmm. until they were actually used. Are you through? I am through. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> and now it's time for roast and toast where the Rockettes have 30 seconds each to meditate, speculate, or accentuate. And we start with Steve. The shift witch hunt gets spookier every day. He's now frog-marched in a lieutenant colonel in dress blues to give his personal opinion criticizing the president's conduct of foreign policy. Harry Truman fired MacArthur for publicly disagreeing with Truman's Korea policy. General Crystal was fired, was forced to resign because he criticized Barack Obama's Afghan policy. I wonder what would have happened to High Pocket Shannon if he had criticized his CO while he was serving in Vietnam. Colonel Vindland was not elected to make U.S. foreign policy. He had two choices, follow orders or resign. He did neither. I did follow orders, and <laughs> next is Patrick. Uh, so I want to toast um, a, a federal judge who passed away um, a couple weeks ago, a judge named Matt Whitworth. I had the mm. uh, honor of working with Matt Whitworth when he was in the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was a public servant for 30 years, 30-plus 30 years, uh, finally landing on the federal district uh, bench in Kansas City, Missouri. He was a model of a public servant, compassionate, uh, smart, thoughtful, uh, and deliberate, and I, uh, the bench is lesser for his passing. Here, here. Teresa. Yeah, I don't, this is not necessarily a toast or a roast, but the Royals have hired a new manager. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, we will wait to see, so the verdict is still out. A potential toast or roast. Denidri. <laughs> I want to toast uh, Kanye West, which I never thought I would say ever. Um, any, anyone who has been paying attention has probably um, followed the release of his latest album, Jesus is King, and it is pretty obvious he has had a radical conversion, and it has been a joy to watch. His lyrics are more have more depth and Christian theology than most of the popular Christian artists right now, and I'm looking forward to the Kanye revival. All right. <laughs> Finally, a thank you to KCMO AM and FM morning show host Pete Mundo for inviting me to join him recently to talk about Jerry Fogel's career and its positive impact on radio in Kansas City. It was a kind gesture and for me a deja vu reminder of the good times Jerry and I enjoyed doing the morning show on KCMO. And that is Ruckus for this week. We're back next Thursday at 7. Now for the Ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night.